welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast, where we explore strategies and insights to supply chain operations and inventory planning. Join us as we talk to the brightest minds in the supply chain planning and operations space to bring you industry-leading knowledge. We'll uncover what's working in the retail space and explore solutions to common inventory challenges. And most importantly, we'll cover what the future of supply chain holds, a future that is in our very own hands. I'm your host, Divya Bade from Fuse Inventory, a female-founded inventory planning software powering the future of commerce. Today, we're speaking with Alex Yencher. Alex is the co-founder and CEO of Passport Shipping, a modern-day international shipping company that ships for top direct-to-consumer brands such as Native, Thinks, Bombas, and many more. Prior to this, Alex was the co-founder and COO of Lynx, a YC-backed international personal shopping service that is now the largest importer of e-commerce parcels into the Middle East. With his extensive background in logistics, we're going to dive into the things you need to know before selling across borders. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. I know we're going to get into a lot of valuable insights, and I'm super excited to pick your brain. But first, I want to take a moment to hear a little bit more about you and how you got where you are. Thank you for having me, Divya. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so let me tell you a little bit more about uh, Passport, myself, and how we got started. Um, so Passport is a modern-day international shipping carrier. We handle international parcel shipping for brands and retailers that sell online. However, to us, shipping is more than just logistics. We also handle the compliance for shipping. We also help brands with their VAT, duty, and custom in-cart calculations and remittance. And lastly, we handle all of their international-related customer support. And brands particularly love that one because nobody really knows how to handle a lost package with the Polish Post, for example. So, you know, today we work with top brands like Bombas, Tommy John, um, Native, um, and help them ship abroad. Um, but it goes back to um, actually the company that I started previous to Passport. Um, I used to uh, run operations for a company called Lynx that helped people abroad buy products from the U.S. And really, it was my first foray into logistics and international shipping and, all, and e-commerce in general. Before that, I had worked at Facebook and before that at uh, Morgan Stanley. So really not in the um, logistics space. Um, but, you know, it was, uh, I think that's why people become founders, so they could do really interesting um, things that just excite them. So mm-hmm. um, that was my, this is my opportunity. Um, we actually opened up a warehouse in Delaware. And uh, Delaware, the reason for Delaware is because it's a tax-free state. So mm-hmm. um, the way our site worked was people would drop in links, hence the name links. And we'd actually put in uh, the address in Delaware um, and buy products on behalf of people with their own credit cards and accounts. And then things would ship first to Delaware, right? And when you put in an address that's California, you have to pay California state tax, but Delaware and Oregon are tax-free. So we set up a warehouse in Delaware. And um, yeah, it was my job to figure out how to ship packages, uh, big, small, um, heavy, lightweight, expensive, cheap, um, really just every every type of package uh, around the world. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not easy to do that because um, there are so many different rules and regulations 
and um, service offerings and different for small providers, last small providers, like to Canada, you might truck things over the border. To UK, you'll put them on a plane. When it's coronavirus, you might have to actually put it on a ship Mm -hmm. because there are no flights, you know? So there's so many different things uh, that go into international shipping. And I just remember thinking, you know, if there was a company that... um, addressed all the um, idiosyncrasies that come alongside e-commerce shipping, um, that would be a service that I would hire in my position here, uh, making these decisions at links. And when I looked into the market, um, there were obviously amazing companies uh, that are great at logistics, like really fantastic at logistics. And um, uh, I felt like, you know, there's no way anybody can really compete against um against them, but there were so many holes with, um, you know, the post-purchase experience. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes to show you, there's a company called uh, Narvar that, you know, um, sprouted to fill that void that was left behind by some of the major carriers uh, on the post-purchase experience. And they make this beautiful branded tracking page. Um, and that was, you know, a signal to me that in the market that really, um e-commerce, it's new enough, and especially international e-commerce, it's new enough that it would make sense that the companies that are really great at logistics might not be the best at, say, customer experience or um, the software uh, that it takes to uh, calculate and collect duties and taxes and just just a couple of examples there. So, um, you know, we ended up at Link's uh, building a lot of that, but we were a B2C company. So we really focused on the customer. So that maybe was actually a really great start for me because I could start from really the customer, the customer, the one that's really downstream all the way um, in you know England or, um, or wherever um, because they matter the most, right? They're the ones that are shelling out the money to buy the product. They're excited to get this product. Um, so we focused on we focused on the customer, and I kind of got this front row seat into um, what a what I ended up calling you know a modern international carrier would look like. So um, that that was my impetus um, to 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 found Passport. Um, it was um, it was definitely uh, something that I saw in the market at uh, at Links. And my co-founder who joined me, um, Aaron, he used to run a brand as well. So he had this insight too. And he actually had it from the brand side of things. So he really, I would say, validated what I saw from like the logistics standpoint and the, the service provider standpoint. He saw that really um, also from the... Um, the brand decision maker side. And if he doesn't feel comfortable as a brand decision maker in um, the experience for his Canadian customers or Australian or whatever, um, he's not really going to um, invest money into marketing and um, uh, and creating, a, you know, even more outreach to international customers, which is really too bad because um, a lot of traffic um, to a e-commerce site even if you do nothing, it ends up being from international sources. We see somewhere upwards of 25 to 50% of traffic can come from abroad, right? Because all the platforms are, are global and, you know, um, so, something that I'm sure we'll talk about later. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, we're already in a global world. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the story of Passport.
It sounds like you guys are like a savior coming in and solving for the logistics nightmares and the customer experience nightmares that comes from that international shipping. So I can definitely see see the benefit there. Um, so let's say, you know, let's say I am a brand that let's say I know I have demand internationally and uh, I want to you know move a package out of the United States into a different company. Um, what's kind of the workflow there? Like how, how do I work with you guys and how much like uh, do I have to be responsible for? And at which point are you guys helping me uh, and the, the problems that you're solving for me? Yeah, totally. So we look exactly like any of your other carriers like DHL or FedEx. Mm -hmm. So however you interface with them today, you would interface with us, meaning you would need to have us integrated in your uh, transportation management system, TMS, right? And um, you print our labels. Um, and then you would have a operational relationship with us, kind of like you might with FedEx, where they have um, either a pickup window or they have some other arrangement. We would have something similar. And we would pick up the packages, take them to our consolidation center. Um, we actually have th uh, uh, three locations, one uh, by LAX, one by um, uh, GFK, and one by ORD in Chicago. And we consolidate all packages there. And then International shipping really goes uh, on uh, three legs of a journey. So I already described one, which is the first mile, getting it from the warehouse. And some brands, they self-fulfill. Some brands uh, work with a third-party logistics uh, service, a 3PL. So we would, uh, we would take it, pick it up, take it to the consolidation center. And then it goes on the next leg of the journey, which is the uh, cross-border journey. So to Canada, you'll put it on a truck, most likely. Uh, to other places, uh, you might put it on a plane. Um, and like I said, it's, it's crazy, but during coronavirus, a lot of mail and a lot of packages have actually had to go, um, via, uh, steamliner. So kind of crazy. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, what, uh, what happens then is it enters the, um, the third leg of its journey, which is the last mile. And of course I'm simplifying this a little bit, but this is basically sure. how it works. Um, and then it gets to the, uh, to the last mile and the last mile, every country has its own last mile providers. Obviously USPS does not operate anywhere outside of the U S um, and the same story with other uh, global posts. So you could work with a global post like a Australia post or Royal mail uh, China post for China. Um, or you could work with a private delivery company. So um Every country has its own, um, you know, FedEx or DHL. Every country uh, has um, specialty carriers. Um, and it's our job to string it all together and provide it as um, one um, virtual uh, international shipping carrier solution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you think that, let's say I'm a brand, do you think there's a point at which uh, I should start thinking about going international? Like I know there's a lot of time and energy and costs that go into it. So do, when do you think is the right time for that? Yeah, it's a good question. So the reality is, even if a brand doesn't think about its international fans, its international fans will be thinking about them. Mm -hmm. And the reality is brands are global by nature from day one, because the platforms on which they get their word out, they get their story out, um, they're all global platforms. TikTok, of course, um, Facebook, um, uh, all, all of these, all of the Instagram, of course, all of these social networks, um, if you look up the monthly active users on these social networks, and by the way, search as well, of course, which is uh, a channel too, like Google, mm -hmm. um, the majority of the 
uh, monthly active users for all these platforms are actually outside of the U.S., I think something like 70 to 80% of um, visitors to TikTok are not from the U.S. They're actually from outside of the U.S. And the um, that's that's kind of the, the, the nature of where we're going as a world from a um, content distribution standpoint is that everything is starting off global almost because there's zero distribution costs and it's kind of just easier to keep it global than to, to start stratifying it. Mm-hmm. So um, when we look at the statistics for these brand websites, I go on this website called Similar Web, and um, without actually signing up, you could put in your URL and you could see what percentage of your traffic comes from abroad. And we do this oftentimes before sales meetings, and it's crazy. Sometimes we see numbers of like 40%. Um, and the brand is like, yeah, we're not really doing anything. Yeah, we're not really thinking about it yet. We might in uh, 2021, you know, we're just we're just getting, uh, you know, getting our feet wet with international. I'm like, 40% of your traffic is coming from abroad. That's crazy. That's a huge chunk. Right. Uh, you know, really move the needle stuff. And and um, the cost per clicks in uh, the markets abroad are super cheap compared to the U.S. So um, really just leaving, brands are really leaving a lot of money on the table. So I think, you know, um, if you have that attitude of it's it's already happening, I could like ignore it but I'm already getting um, traffic. I'm already getting requests from day one, like really um, highly unlikely that you're not going to get anybody from abroad. I would start, I would say you should think about it from the beginning. Now it doesn't need to be very heavy. You don't need to start translating um, your website into Portuguese day one, right? right? It's something where you can stage it out and ladder up and um, optimize things that seem to matter for your business. And it really, again, idiosyncratic depending on, uh, what exactly you're selling to what type of uh, market you're selling, what your price point is like a lot of open questions there. But, um, but yeah, I would actually start thinking about it from day one. That's, uh, that's great to hear the, that global from by nature from day one. That's, I think that's a really strong point to drive home. Like there's so much uh, revenue opportunity and customer opportunity that's being left on the table from the kind of fear of not, you know, opening up, you know, sales outside the border. I think from, you know, even personal experience, shipping a package to, to a friend outside of the country is a nightmare. So I think there's this kind of like hesitancy that brands might face. So talk to me a little bit about people that kind of don't know the route to go. What are some of the mistakes that you're finding that they are making that that they're uh, when they decide to go global, they try to do it on their own? I think it's that they focus on the wrong things. And there's a lot of information out there. And international is, um, it's complicated if you just talk about Canada. There's a new U.S. free trade agreement. You pay taxes under a certain amount. You pay duties under a different amount. Um, there's different rules and regulations depending on like, does the item have certain food items in it? There's just, it's just, it gets complicated even just for Canada, right? Not to mention, and by the way, Canada has, uh, I don't know how many provinces, but, um, uh, but it's, it's more than 10 and you have to know the rules for each province. It's just complicated again, just for Canada. Now you zoom out and you go, okay, how about UK, EU, there's Brexit happening now. Um, uh, uh, what's, you know, Latin America is its own set of rules and regulations that are completely different from EU. And, and then you start going, okay, should I handle, should I solve this problem first? Should I just solve it for Canada? Should I solve the language problem? I heard that payments are really important. Should I solve payments? Should I solve shipping? Passport is telling me shipping is really important, you know, and that's just, a lot of um, information for somebody who's 
at least day one of their business is going to be domestic. That's a lot of information to churn through and handle and weigh. And a lot of these things, if you do decide to go a certain path, um, it will take bandwidth. It will take some resources. So I think that that's the biggest mistake is not having a good plan in place, not talking to enough people and just two 30-minute conversations, I think, can save uh uh, a decision maker at a brand, a tremendous amount of time and pain down the road of having gone down the path that was just not right for their business, like something that was too expensive or too complicated or not complicated enough, just depending on what their goals are. But really having a plan in place day one, um, I think, is something that I would recommend to avoid mm-hmm. mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh- what about the concept of, okay, so let's say I do want to ship to Canada. Like, it, does it make sense for me to to have, you know, fulfillment centers up in Canada? Or what's your what's your take on, on kind of having uh, different uh, locations for inventory like that? I think it comes down to the volume and, um, and the objectives of and the cost structure of the brand. So again, something that you would want to have that discussion with, um, you know, a local 3PL in uh, in Canada to have them walk you through the math of what fulfillment in Canada looks like, uh, weigh what the advantages are of shipping from the U.S. to Canada, um, because now items that are domiciled in the U.S., they fall under the new de minimis rules, which is 40 Canadian dollars for, for taxes and $150 for duties. Mm-hmm. So Pretty meaningful, pretty meaningful stuff where if your item um, is under 40 Canadian, which is about under 30 bucks, you don't have to pay taxes on it. That's pretty big, right? But you don't get that benefit if you were to import everything into Canada and sell it uh, from within Canada, right? So there's there's some disadvantages there that you have to be aware of also with the duty part of it as well. And also it matters um, what your customer's expectations are. So if your customers expect a very fast transit, like two days, um, one day, you know, that kind of fast transit, because maybe it's a, a good that's very, um, very, very expensive. So, you you know, um, they expect a very fast transit um, or it's a sensitive good, some, whatever, whatever it is. Um, then, then, of course, domiciling in, in Canada is uh, the most effective approach of hitting fa- very fast transit times. So um, I think, you know, for every brand is going to have their own set of circumstances. I, I hope that um, the ones that I raised just give people an idea of what to consider. Um, but I think it just all of all of the stuff really at the end of the day takes some analysis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to take a moment and you did touch on a little bit with COVID, but I do want to talk about the current landscape a little bit more, you know, with the pandemic, there's obviously, you know, shifts that are happening in the way businesses operate and how supply chains are changing. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the trends that you you're seeing and, and how you predict that they'll unfold? And do you have any thoughts on how brands can withstand the changes? Yeah, absolutely. We're really in an unprecedented unprecedented time for uh, global international rule changes happening. Um, in this in the same year as we had this um, historic US Mexico Canada free trade agreement. The last one we had was it's actually this one's called the new NAFTA. The last one we had was in 1995. Um, so long, long time ago. So that you know this kind of thing, this kind of free trade agreement gets updated um, every 25, 30 years, right? So we're crossing that, uh, that, that point right now. So that's already a big uh, monumental change. 
Um, and then at the same time, we have Brexit happening this year, which is another monumental change that, you know, um, uh, it, it something like this is also like a 25, every, once every 25 year kind of thing. And this one is a big one. So this one really changes the way in which um, VAT is collected and charged, and um, it, it requires action for brands in a very short amount of time. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about you know uh, what I would do right now if I were a brand. So we learned recently that uh, as part of Brexit, that the UK is actually moving to a different VAT collection regime. What that means is that today, that is collected at the border. So when we ship a product on behalf of a brand at the border, we pay the customs broker that we work with the VAT on the product. So VAT right now in UK is 20% and we pay $20 for that product. And then when, um, uh, when January 1st hits, they're changing that and they're putting the responsibility and the onus on paying VAT onto the brand themselves which means that a brand has to register for VAT in the next three months, get a VAT number, and start uh, collecting and remitting VAT directly to the UK government in a way in which they do with, say, California state tax or, um, or uh, you know, of course, um, pretty much every state in, in the US except Delaware and Oregon, right? So this is just another um, uh, uh, hoop that brands have to go through in order to be in compliance with uh, shipping e-commerce packages to uh, to the UK starting January 1st. Um, and if that weren't enough, Divya, <laughs> starting July 1st of 2021, so six months um, into the year, the same exact thing that's happening in UK, it's going to happen in EU, where today um, the shipping company, again, be it Passport or another carrier, they pay... Um, at the border and build back uh, and build back the brand. Now it's the responsibility of the brand to register for EU VAT and have a quarterly uh, uh, remittance where they're in compliance on a quarterly basis, and that becomes their responsibility. So something that brands um, December thirty first did not have to deal with or have a headache about. Starting you know one day later, boom! Suddenly it becomes a, a new thing. Um, uh, and a new ordeal for brands. So we're doing our best at Passport to uh, make this easy. Uh, the first thing that we uh, did when we heard it is we built a UK VAT tool, uh, UK VAT registration tool that makes it really easy and simple for brands to be able to register uh, for that UK VAT. We've simplified the form. We've um, made it a really uh, sort of delightful UI experience. Um, and we hope that this um, lightens the pain. But at the end of the day, this is something new that a brand has to do. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's basically the most important thing for brands is to try to stay on top of these global changes because, you know, UK, EU, um, Canada, these are uh, growing and big revenue opportunities for brands. So just staying on top of uh, the rules and regulations there, like you might for uh, U.S. states and different rules uh, here in the U.S., Right. It sounds, I mean, honestly, it sounds like there's so many changes, like it's almost overwhelming, especially, you know, as they're trying to focus on holiday and inventory and marketing, all these other things that are important to these businesses, especially, you know, as they're growing and scaling, like what, like, what do they do? How do they, how do they figure out what these changes are? Like, is there a central resource that they can use that you think? 
Yeah, I think it's have so um, we, we do that for all of our customers, of course. I mean, it's just part of um, of our value that we try to bring to, to customers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're also trying to get it from primary resources. So we stay on top of uh, all the blogs and all the, um, you know, like listening to this podcast. I listen to a um, uh, Postal Hub podcast. I learn a lot there, you know. So, um, you know, if if you're a decision maker for, for a brand, um, uh, there are some really great resources and maybe Divya after the uh, podcast, I could share you with, uh, I could share some with you and you could post some links on, uh, uh, on the, the podcast notes. Sure. Yeah. I'll yeah. Have to do that. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well then in that case, Alex, I want to, um, kind of pick your brain a little bit more cause I know you have a lot of experience, uh, co-founding and leading multiple companies. So, um, given your experience, do you have any advice that you would share with founders who are looking to scale their business? Yeah. Um, this is, you know, I thought about this one and I want to give, um, unique, interesting advice. Uh, but the reality is the cliche of hiring great people is, um, I would do a disservice to that piece of advice if I said anything else. And, um, you know, I'll talk to how it's affecting me right now. So all these changes that I just articulated, it creates a lot of thrash. Uh, we constantly have to be on top of these changes, putting together different collateral to communicate, just to communicate and educate our brands on it. And then oftentimes there's repercussions, like you have to change um, the last mile provider that you use. You have to reclassify something. You have to ask for more data. You have to build a separate uh, UI flow. Like we just uh, had to um, hustle and build a UK VAT registration thing, which is not something we planned for earlier this year. Of course, coronavirus, that adds another level of complication for everything. And I just can't imagine where we would be as a company if we didn't have A plus players. Like, I just can't imagine it. I can't even, um, it would be, we would have to say no to customers. We would have to um, limit the number of accounts we bring on. I mean, like all of those, we would have to throttle a lot if we didn't have uh, the kind of team that we have. So in terms of startups, this is, I I will not say it's par for the course. I think it's maybe a little bit crazy with with 2020 and coronavirus and all of that. But like, if it's not this, it's going to be something else that's kind of crazy. There's always something crazy with startups at my previous company. Maybe it wasn't external stuff. But, there, you know, external macro events happening, but there were other events happening with competitors, with, you know, uh, patent um, trolls suing us, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, really, there's going to be a million crazy things. And if you can't trust your teammates, if your teammates can't trust you, um, if there isn't um, um, self, you know, um, mutual respect and all of that, and that comes from just like really hiring uh, and having an amazing team, it, it makes it very difficult. It makes something that's already very, very difficult. It makes it impossible, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you are successful and if you are growing and things are kind of going well, um, everything will unravel um, if you don't have a really great team. So um, yeah, just very fortunate to um, to have been thoughtful about who we bring on board and um, uh, taking it uh, taking it slower, uh, to make sure we hire the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say definitely that. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Definitely invest in, uh, in the time and energy to find that A-plus team uh, to, to help propel yourself forward. Um, so, Alex, before we wrap up, we have a round of questions that we try to ask every guest just to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, are you ready for that? Let's do it. Okay. So, Alex, <laughs> tell me about the best business advice you've ever received and how it's helped you either grow professionally or scale your business. It's don't lose focus. Don't lose focus. Um, commit to what you're working on. Have a plan for it and execute. And uh, don't lose focus from that. Great, great. What's a mistake you recall making in your career? And if you could go back in time, what guidance would you give yourself? Yeah, I think whenever um, I go astray and um, – a mistake is made is when I lose focus. So that's, you know, when I was reading uh, the questions, it really made me think um, that the loose focus advice is something that I still have to work on as a leader. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a mistake that I would say we made early on in the company is we went a little bit too broad in our service offering. So in the beginning, we started to offer uh, U.S. outbound services. So uh, American brands that want to um, uh, sell globally. You know, uh, but we also had service from China and Asia into the U.S. And that has its own set of um, problems and issues and things to solve. And I remember thinking at one point, um, I can't do both of these well. I can't solve both of these problems. And there's enough problems on both sides. So it became apparent that it was a mistake that uh, I was making at the time of pursuing that. So I would say that that is, um, that's, that's the uh, mistake that I could come up with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Focus. And especially with uh, founders, it's, I know everything's, there's so much going on. So uh, really driving that, that uh, value home. Um, so I know you mentioned a couple of, uh, you said you're, you'll send over a couple of things for our show notes, but is there a resource and it could be a book or a person or really anything that comes to mind, uh, that you would recommend to our audience? Yeah. Um, I love the book, never split the difference by Chris Voss. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a psychology book. It's a business book. It's a negotiation book. Um, it's a relationship book, but, um, at the heart of it, it's a psychology book that has a lot of really obvious information, but it's so helpful to read it and understand the why behind it and understand how to put it into practice. Um, it really resonated with me. I still work on a lot of the things that I've learned from that book. I've listened to it on, a, on an audio book and I actually got the physical book. So really, um, I strongly recommend that one. Great. All right. I'll put that in the show notes as well. That's never split the difference. Um, awesome. Well, Tell us where we can go if we want to learn more about you, Alex, or stay connected. Yeah. So I'm not too active on social media, but um, would love to connect with folks on LinkedIn. Um, you could just find me by putting my name, Alex Yancher, into the search. Um, or you could email me, alex at passportshipping.com. Awesome. Okay, great. Alex, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing such valuable information with us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much again. Thank you for having me, Divya. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Fuse Inventory, an inventory planning solution for the digital age. Fuse centralizes inventory sales and procurement data to generate a predictive forecast and inventory replenishment plan to help brands scale their supply chain. 
If you'd like to learn more, please visit FuseInventory.com or follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Plan less and do more with Fuse Inventory.